An in-game benching against the defending Stanley Cup champions eventually led to an NHL blockbuster trade. It involves the Jets and Columbus Blue Jackets and a pair of top five picks from the 2016 NHL draft. Which side stands to benefit more and did they do enough to improve their team? Episode 253 of the Lace Up Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tubuff. Brett, you've been saying for weeks and weeks, Patrick Line is not getting traded. The Winnipeg Jets are stupid to trade him, and he's traded. Well, hold on a second. I kind of changed my tune after, <laughs> like, two weeks before uh, for a while. I, um, well, it is, first off, it is kind of funny that we've been... Like, our last episode was about Pierre-Luc Dubois and Patrick Laine and who would be the possible suitors for, for each of those guys. I think you may have suggested that Pierre-Luc Dubois could go to Winnipeg for Patrick Laine or something of that nature. But, um, mm-hmm. but uh, like, I don't know if we necessarily... Like, I never, never necessarily put two and two together. I think it was... Well, for, first off, the Pierre-Luc Dubois... Like rumors had just started since he signed his new contract, and um, like I figured that if Patrick Line was actually going to be traded, it would be for a defenseman because that's their most immediate need. And like if they're going to get a center for for Patrick Line, like the big draw of getting a center is because you want a center that can help Patrick Line, uh, you know solidify that second line some more so it's just it's like funny that like winnipeg finally got their center and uh, but like to help out patrick line except now they don't have patrick line so it's just um and patrick line doesn't have a center in columbus i mean i guess max dome is there and um alexander tessier has had a great start to the season but i'm not sure if it's uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois level, so it's it's definitely um, intriguing. Um, but yeah, first off, uh, Patrick Laine uh, is going to Columbus for, uh, as well as Jack Roslevic, um, who was another one who kind of had, requ- he had publicly requested a trade. He's also from Ohio. He was a 2015 pick, which I thought, uh, 2015 first round pick as well which I thought was uh, interesting because I remember that vividly as being the year the the Bruins passed up on uh, Kyle Connor. But I guess mm-hmm. the Jets had two picks that year um, in the yep. first round. Um, and then uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets, they get Pierre-Luc Dubois. They also get a third-round pick in 2022. Um, and then also parts of this trade are... Um, on the Columbus side of things, Jack Roslovic signs a two-year extension uh, with Columbus almost right away, um, worth uh, $1.9 million per season per year. He is from Ohio, as I think I mentioned. Um, and uh, Line and Columbus also retains $1.75 million of Patrick Line's salary for the year. 
Uh, Line A is a RFA next year, and uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois is an RFA in two years. Um, it's also, I don't know if this, this must have been the first time ever that a second overall pick and a third overall pick were traded for each other in the same draft year. Um, it's like, it's totally, that, that, I feel like, I mean, I think people are talking about that part of it, but like, that is kind of like a funny, uh, part about this whole trade scenario thing. Um, I, I sort of already talked about my general thoughts about the trade, but Like, I'm thinking of top five picks that are most likely to be traded. He'd be the guy. And instead, he's in Edmonton when right. this deal happens, which is kind of weird. Yeah. And, like, also there's, like, been rumblings that after Austin Matthews uh, is done with his contract, he's going somewhere that's not Toronto. Um, so, like, there's also rumbling that Matthews may not be a leaf for life um, as well. So it's just... That is a good point, too. Like, Pugliarvi also has had trade rumors in the past. And he, I guess he could also be traded, too. Um, I think there... I remember there was, like, in 2010, like, like the top six overall picks were have all been traded at some point in their career. Uh, Taylor right, Hall, yes, that was Tyler Sagan. Tyler Tyler one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely. I think, like, Brett Connolly's in there, too, so... That's like a funny little wrinkle to this whole thing, too. Um, anyways, uh, so I kind of already got to my general thoughts about it, where I guess I can go even further to this. Um, like, yeah, I thought when originally, like, this was, you know, a long time coming, that Patrick Kleine was in, like, the trade bait boards and all that stuff, and... Um, I kind of denied it because I didn't really feel like it was a smart thing for the Winnipeg Jets to do. Um, and then, um, and then when I saw that press conference, I was like, well, okay, uh, this actually makes, you know, like he, he does, he doesn't want to be there. And then I was more okay with him being traded because of that. Um, and yeah, I think, I don't know. I think it. I, I think it's, like, interesting because it's, like, that monkey paw uh, riddle. I don't know if you've heard of that before. It's, like, when someone, like, grants you, uh, when you have this monkey paw and you grant a wish, uh, that you, you get that wish, but then you don't, um, but then there's, like, some little, like, twist at it. So, like, I, I just talked about it, like, where, okay, the Jets finally got their second-line center to be with Mark Shifley, and, you know, that, that can help guys like Nikolai Ehlers and Patrick Laine, except you don't have Patrick Laine anymore. So now you have, now you need another winger, and it's not like, I mean, I guess they have Christian Veselainen, um, there's probably someone else I'm, I'm blanking on, but now like their wingers are in help because they need to figure out who's going to replace Jack, uh, Patrick Laine, um, in the, in the fold. So, so there's that aspect of it. As for Columbus, um, I, I, I actually like it a lot for Columbus, except for, I'm not sure 
um, how the Patrick Laine and Jonathan Tortorella uh, dynamic's going to work, because uh, Tortorella is known as this, like, hard-nosed, defense-first type guy, and Patrick Laine has the reputation of, like, just being purely an offensive guy and doesn't have the defensive side of things um, in that regard, and, like, that's why uh, Maurice, uh, Paul Maurice in Winnipeg kind of, like, put Patrick Laine in, like, the third line or the fourth line at times just because he wasn't great defensively. But at the same time, Columbus needs scoring, and Patrick Laine's, like, probably, like, top three best goal scorers in the league right now. So, um, so they do have a goal scorer, and I think they'll make do, um, but I think John Tortorella has to change his tone, or he's gone before Patrick Laine is. Yeah, so there are a lot of interesting uh, things with with this trade analysis here, and, and I'll get to my own uh, thoughts uh, as well. Um, but just to add a little side note, uh, Jack Roslevic, you're wondering, oh, the Winnipeg Jets drafted Kyle Connor uh, before Jack Roslevic in 2015. So did, did they get Jack Roslevic uh, from another team through Jane? The answer is yes. Uh, Jack Roslevic was linked to the Evander Kane trade, which keeps on giving because although he wasn't a principal part of this deal, they low-key kind of got Pierre-Luc Dubois because of Evander Kane. So right. Evander Kane continuously giving the Winnipeg Jets nice things. Um, so just wanted to get that out of the way first. And uh, speaking of picks, uh, the Jets also get a third in 2022, which if Columbus doesn't do well, that could be of late second-round value. So they could use that to maybe get defensive help or they drafted another gem like Billy Hainola, who knows. Um, but let's let's begin with the Tortorella stuff because this all started partially because of what happened on Thursday night. The Blue Jackets roasting the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yep. No fans in the building, but technically hosting the Tampa Bay Lightning. Home opener, right? Mm-hmm. So big game for them. Defending Stanley Cup champions the team that ended their season last year and Dubois is going to be remembered for one number 355 which is the ID play before getting benched by Tortorella in the final 20 to 30 seconds of the game he played and I saw the shift from start to finish yes same I would I would call it a lackluster outing he ended his Columbus career on a lackluster shift. Yep. He's been in the NHL for almost four years now. We know how he plays the game in his draft year. We were talking about this guy as a tenacious forward that most teams would draft in the top five if they had the option of doing so. Awesome to a forward, not faced by pressure situations. He can play center. He can play the wing. Back checks well, leads the forward check. He can hit yep. you hard, takes away passing lanes. Just does all the little things right, very effective for it. And typically, a guy who is very tough to play against, a pain in the butt, some might say, on this particular shift, he just skates a little bit, doesn't do much of anything, doesn't make a big hit, doesn't make a big play, and doesn't play a single second for the rest of that first period, doesn't play an ounce of hockey in the second, doesn't play an ounce of hockey in the third, Watches his team lose in overtime. Columbus took Tampa in overtime without him. He's on the bench the entire time this happens. And if he was still with the team 
on the Saturday game for the rematch against Tampa, there are rumblings he could be healthy scratched, right. not even dressed for that game. So John Tortorella is a brutally honest guy. You can say what you want about his coaching, coaching tactics and whether or not they yeah. work, and we'll talk about them later. But he was blunt a few days ago. He says, if I bench somebody, you guys will know. And everybody knew that Pierre-Luc Dubois was getting benched by John Tortorella when they saw that shift, when they saw his ice time after that shift. It was yep. blatantly obvious that Torts was sending a message. He knows how Pierre-Luc Dubois plays. Pierre-Luc Dubois knows how Torts coaches. There should be no excuse. Like, if you're injured, if you're – if you got some personal stuff going on towards this and understand guy, you won't play. But if you're there and you're ready to contribute, you work your butt off. That's what Tortorella expects. And if you don't, and he thinks it warrants a benching, he'll bench you. And he's yeah. admitted and he's told people, yeah, Dubois wants out. He's on a short leash with me in terms of this situation. This comes as no surprise. Now, this isn't like Patrick Waugh telling the Montreal Canadiens owner, oh, this is my last game in Montreal, never playing another game. He forces the issue, and the team trades him. This is a different situation with Pierre-Luc Dubois. Pierre-Luc Dubois is a guy where half the league is interested in trading for him. I don't think this is a situation where Pierre-Luc Dubois throws a hissy fit in the dressing room or, yep. or anything like that and just tells the team, get me the heck out of here. That's not what happened. This was an interesting circumstance where Yarmo Kekalainen is a GM that typically strikes while the iron is hot, isn't afraid to make a deal, isn't afraid to make a deal if he feels that it helps his team down the road. If this situation with Pierre-Luc Dubois drags on, the level of interest from teams is going to go down. The trade value is going to go down. So I think for Kekalainen, he probably feels... Well, everyone wants this guy. There are a lot of teams interested in this guy. I have a lot of offers to choose from. I might as well trade him now. Right. So he tells teams, whether they're in or they're out, there's word that by the end of the weekend, you'll be on a different team. And just before noon on Saturday, the deal happens. Um, I believe final three were Anaheim, Montreal, and Winnipeg. And while I'm sure Winnipeg would like defensive help, Columbus is looking at Winnipeg's roster and Yarmo Kekalainen had his eyes set on Patrick Laine for quite a while, even on draft day, but he felt that he would probably have to give up a lot to move up to number two to take Laine. Yep. So now he's saying, well, the thing is, we have this Columbus native that doesn't want to play in Winnipeg has been more vocal about it than Patrick Laine and Patrick Laine, who might be open to a change of scenery. I can, I can get my guy and trade away Dubois in the same deal. Right. Let's make a deal. And, and I feel like if Kekalainen knew he was going to get Patrick Laine, the return from Montreal and from Anaheim had to be much bigger yep. than what Winnipeg was offering. Like we're talking Big name prospects. We're talking draft picks. We're talking roster yeah. players, and I'm sure Anaheim and Montreal weren't willing to go that far because it's Patrick like, It's it's tough to beat Patrick Liney. Like right, right. you're you're going to make the best deal, and Patrick Liney's there. I don't know how much better it gets than Patrick Liney. Yeah. So this was all a matter of circumstance where 
one team needed one guy that was on another team that didn't want to play for another team, vice versa with the other guy that might be open to a change of scenery. Hey, let's make a deal. It wasn't like that with the Patrick Waugh situation because the the Habs brass was blue in the face. Yep. Typically, in this situation, Pierre, um, not Pierre Dubois, Yaron Kekalainen would be in the hot seat. He's like, oh, crap, I got to trade this guy. He didn't put himself in a position where his back was against the wall because he did this deal now. And when you're in a sticky situation like this, not many guys can say, oh, yeah, I traded the guy that wanted out for Patrick Line. Like, that's that's masterful work right there. Yep. Uh, so you touch on a lot of stuff that I uh, I should have gone, <laughs> gone into uh, beforehand, but uh, we'll take this one at a time here. Uh, first off, uh, let's go with the ones that I can remember. Uh, yeah, Montreal, Anaheim, and Winnipeg were the three teams that were supposedly... Um, in the sweepstakes by the end of it all. Um, and I guess it w- was reported that Montreal, uh, Columbus had asked for Nick Suzuki and Montreal or Cole Caulfield and Montreal was just going, no, okay, we're not doing that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I don't know what happened with Anaheim. I was actually kind of ex- like the more I thought about Anaheim, cause I was thinking like, actually that could kind of work. For Anaheim, like, I know it, of the, like, it's, um, like, uh, like, they're not really a contending team, but they do have a few solid, like, prospects there where they could use, they could eventually use someone like, um, like Pierre-Luc Dubois, and apparently, like, Adam Henrique was, like, had in his no-trade clause of, um, that like he didn't want to go to Columbus, so that's that was an out there. But I, you know, I don't know if that was like a deal breaker from Anaheim in that part. Um, what I really wanted to get to was this Yarmo Kekalainen like towards Pierre Pierre Luc Dubois shift stuff happening. Uh, first off, it was uh, uh, Yarmo was asked um, if he. Um, if like on whether Dubois leaving is emotional and he said not bittersweet at all. We're very excited here. Um, and that's like an interesting aspect of it. And that leads me to believe that Pierre-Luc Dubois wanted out. Like it wasn't just because of torts. Maybe that was a reason, but it may not have been the only reason he has publicly said that it's not torts. Um, um, he also said that, um, he said that there's like he was asked by um, in a hockey night in Canada, Ron McLean. Um, there's a Pierre Luc Dubois, the per- the hockey player, and there's Pierre Luc Dubois, the human. I wanted to stay true to myself, to my teammates. I knew that deep down I would have wanted this to happen. Um, so, like I also wonder about this because I know that in Columbus, I hate to get political here, and this is pure speculation here. But I know that both Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski are very big Trump supporters. Um, and maybe they're like the whole team isn't taking COVID as seriously as he wants it to be. And that's kind of like when he says there's Pierre-Luc Dubois, the human, and I wanted to say true to myself and my teammates. He just doesn't want to like publicly call out his former teammates now. Um, 
But, like, I, I have a feeling that maybe, like, there's something to do with that where there's more, like, conservative people there. But at the same time, like, Pierre-Luc Dubois is a Canadian. Who knows if he actually, like, um, if that's his stuff there. But I think that leads more credence to the fact that there's just a personality clash between the, like, Pierre-Luc Dubois, who is very talented, as we've mentioned, um, and does play the defensive style uh, better than Patrick Laine does. But I do wonder if, like, there is that, like, things that we don't, I guess, we'll, may never know um, that, like, just wasn't a clash um, in the grand scheme of things. I mean, maybe once, like, Pierre-Luc Dubois retires and, you know, the past is the past, Maybe we'll find out why he actually did go. Um, but, yeah, it's just, um, I remember you were mentioning this, too. Is like, if it's actually torts, then this is a serious thing. And I agreed with you, because I had forgotten about the Ryan Johansson situation, where it was a very similar thing, where Ryan Johansson kind of didn't ha- had limited ice time and all that stuff. But I guess to Tort- Tortorella's credit is, like, you know, he is very tough and very hard-nosed and doesn't believe that if you're, um, you know, putting in effort, then he's not going to play you no matter how good you are. So um, he does live up to his word, and, and that is good. I just don't know if that's going to translate to Patrick Laine. Um And also, like, I saw that, like, you know, that shift, and, yeah, it, it was interesting because, like, he was hardly near the puck. It wasn't like he was doing anything. Um, however, I don't know if it, like, warranted, like, like, two straight periods of, um, you know, being benched. That, that seemed a bit too much, too extreme to me. Um, and that's where I have a problem with Torts, where I feel like, yeah, he may, he may have had a bad, he definitely had a bad shift. But I don't know if that, like, warrants, like, meaning that, like, he's just not trying anymore. That's where I feel a little disconnect, and I'm worried that Tortorella may not be in Columbus much longer if he continues to do stuff like this. Um, he's done the same for Max Domey, too, and they just got him. So it's like, I'm not sure if Torts is the right fit for Columbus, uh, because, like, I don't know, I get... I guess this all comes back to, like, I mean, you could say the same with Paul Maurice and Patrick Laine that I feel like, like, I would rather keep the star player on your team than the coach. Um, Because the, you know, you can get a new coach, but you can only trade Pierre-Luc Dubois once. You can only trade Patrick Laine once. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, granted, like, you know, you should always try to appease them. Kind of like what the NBA does. Um, you know, James Harden was unhappy in Houston. And they, you know, Houston had no, like, they had no obligations to trade him. But they traded James Harden. Uh, like, even though I guess he kind of was a bit lazy at first and all that stuff. So I guess it's a similar situation to this. But, like, in a way, like, you know, like, it's it's interesting where, like, for NHL teams, it's just more like, all right, you want to be traded? Well, suck it up. You have to continue to play. Whereas for like the NBA, it's like, oh, you want to be traded? Okay, let's let's see what teams work for you. You know, it's it's just uh, it's just a different dynamic. But anyways, I'm I'm sidetracking here. I guess my point is is that 
I feel like for both sides, it's they're both in very similar situations where both wanted a change of scenery. Um, I'm just not sure if like Columbus is the best fit for Patrick Laine, and I'm not sure if Winnipeg is the best fit for Pierre Luc Dubois. If they also like, there was also rumors that like Pierre Luc Dubois or Laine wanted to like go to a bigger city, and they're both like <laughs> the equivalents of each other in the country. Like, uh, like you know, Winnipeg's like the Ohio of Canada and vice versa. So um, I'm not sure if that's like the biggest draw for them. And I guess maybe eventually once they become UFAs, uh, then, or, you know, once they become RFAs, if, if it's not working out, then they can treat them to another team. But uh, yeah, it's just a weird situation. I, I went on uh, there. Well, to touch on a, a few of your points there, you, you mentioned uh, the part about uh, Torts, and there was also, you know, the Anthony Duclair situation, right. and that oh, didn't yeah, work out so well, and then he had a good year in Ottawa and revitalized his career. Um, There's also um, Marion Gabbert, who tweeted, and the Beals broke up, been there, done that, when asked about the Dubois situations. Oh, and uh, Gabbert had to deal with Torts uh, with the Rangers. And it, it's Torts is Torts like any other coach has a shelf life. Yep. But his track record has proven to be successful. Again, we'll talk about that track record later because it's important. And to be, I he, do want to mention, like, to be fair, like he has calmed down in the past. It wasn't like yes. Vancouver; he was kicked out like a month in, <laughs> you know. And the Rangers, he just had a thing with the media where that hasn't happened yet in Columbus. Mm -hmm. Like he's, he's definitely in terms of his approach with the media, in terms of his approach as a coach, he's learned a lot. He's, he's, um, he's wised up a little bit as a coach as well. There, there, there are parts of his game that will never change, but that's what makes Torrance a successful coach. A lot of the teams in Columbus were good teams, not built around certain players, good teams. Right. That's, that's why Columbus has been so successful and the track record in Columbus before and after towards got there speaks for itself. But again, he's been there since 2015-16. Torts has a shelf life just like any other coach. At the same time, Artemi Panarin, it became pretty clear that with a year or two left in his deal that he was open to like a bigger spotlight. And part of the reason I think why he chose the Rangers because it's New York. You get marketing opportunities that yep. you don't get any else, especially not in Columbus. Right. And then Matt Duchesne leaves in free agency. Bobrovsky leaves in free agency for Florida. But those guys kept on playing. Yep. They were pros. And they didn't seem to have much of an issue playing with John Tortorella. So for some guys... Torts might not be the best guy, but there are still guys that will play for Torts. Even guys like Artemi Panarin, who was recently nominated for league MVP, he played some of his best hockey in Columbus that led to that big payday with the Rangers, and he had no issues with Torts. He he kept playing his game. He continued to impress. Seth Jones has evolved into a big-name defenseman, yep. so has Zacharensky, all under John Tortorella. Sergey Bobrovsky in his first season won the freaking Vezina. Yeah. And Tortor- and that wasn't with Tortorella's coach, but still, yeah, like, like, there are guys that can have success in Columbus, but it all goes to 
keeping star players and adding on star players. Yeah. And that, in a little bit, is why we're going to get into whether or not Tortorella is still the fit in Columbus. And to the Patrick Laine situation in Winnipeg, Blake Wheeler said there weren't a lot of happy smiles when Patrick Laine left. It was a pretty sad day. He wishes yep. himself he could have approached Laine differently when they were teammates on a few things. Head coach Paul Maurice was willing to take some of the blame if if uh, Laine wanted out because of like coaching and whatnot. So like the, there was definitely remorse yep. on Winnipeg. But, but not on Columbus. They, they, they made a deal that they felt would help their team, just yeah. like Columbus did. I find it interesting, though, that like Patrick Laine's last last game in Winnipeg yeah. was a game-winning overtime goal, um, mm-hmm. and I, he's injured now, so he didn't. That was like a, a week ago, but like yeah. uh, compare not that, that. Not yeah. only that, he had two goals and assists, yeah. three hits, and he got. Yeah, and, and like an overtime winner, so like right. he went out with a bang. And like you compare that to Pierre Luc Dubois' last game, mm-hmm. where he gets benched for the last two periods. Um, yeah, and you know on doesn't shift, help the team. By the way, on a shift well, against Tyler Johnson, yeah. who was waived and then came <laughs> back, and he's still out there. You talk about playing like a pro. Yeah, like Tyler Johnson has been through the ringer in Tampa Bay the past couple yeah. of months, and he's still out there playing just like any other guy. Right, and Dubois just there just half-assing it yeah and i mean like i don't know if i necessarily take too much into like him like that just one shift because it's literally one shift he's obviously a very talented player and i feel like he's going to like mature over the years but um i guess i can i can see why like it was perceived like it was lackluster but i don't know i guess it's just uh like it it uh I don't know I f- I feel like it's still too much to like bench him for two periods and all that stuff. I mean I know that he had requested his a trade and all that stuff, but like you know he could have just said like hey I'm not gonna play or something like that. I don't know. So I don't, I don't have like I have I don't have too much. Wait I'm not sure what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I I feel like he will put in effort in Winnipeg. Um, I'm not, I'm sure there's, that's going to be like a spotlight for him now, but, um, yeah, we'll see. Um, another part, rightly or wrongly, uh, whatever Pierre-Luc Dubois does in his career, and I'm sure he'll do a lot of great things. People in Columbus, one of the last memories they'll have for him is that 20 to 30 second shift against Tampa, which either way you look at it is unfortunate for Dubois because it it makes him look bad. And he's a, he's a talented player too. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So we'll get to like, I mean, we kind of already talked about if this makes Columbus and Winnipeg better and in the long term, but um, we'll get to that in a second. Um, also, uh, yeah, the other thing to consider is first off, Patrick Line um, is injured, so he hasn't even been playing for a while, but I believe he's going to have to quarantine um, in order to cross the border. Pierre Luc Dubois um, is not going has to quarantine in Columbus for 14 days and won't arrive till like middle of February. And then you also have to consider the fact that like you know he still has to warm up and you know because after not playing for 14 days he has to be back in in regular season shape. So so it might be like towards the end of February where we get to see Pierre Luc Dubois in a uniform. Um, 
Whereas for Patrick Laine, since he is injured, he might already be quarantining. And, like, they're less strict in the U.S. than Canada is on the COVID stuff. So um, so we may see Patrick Laine in Columbus uh, before we see... Um, we see Pierre-Luc Dubois. Um, and I know that Jack Roslovic is from Ohio. He wasn't even signed by the Winnipeg Jets, so maybe he was already in Columbus. Um, so so it's possible that we even see Jack Roslovic even sooner than um, than all three of the other two um, beforehand. Yeah, and, and uh, we were talking about this off the air, Brett, how... Um, this example of a trade, like if there are uh, Canadian markets that are big players in the yep. trade deadline, and if big names are getting dealt, um, because the trade deadline is, I think April 12th is the day, and then like in the first or second week of May, the regular season is supposed to end, we could see a lot of big trades happening maybe in March if teams are thinking, well, we need these guys ready sort of ish before the playoffs start and with the quarantining stuff that's going to delay us by like two or three weeks so we probably want to make these deals sooner it it could be a very boring trade deadline day um if the quarantining rules uh, play a factor here because um i I don't think teams are going to be willing to like fork over a first round pick for a big name player that's going to play like five to seven games for them before the playoffs start, and you expect them to be ready by then. So it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays in as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's let's go with... Okay, so that, yeah, that is a good point, too. I think it's, it's a weird wrinkle in our... Um, in our, uh, you know, this season, for sure, is, like, considering the the border situation is how are they going to figure out trades um so so yeah um we'll see um all right so first off we're gonna we're gonna also talk about columbus we're gonna go over the two teams and what this does for them in the long term and and the short term as well so we're gonna start off with columbus since they added two players um so yeah, they get Patrick Laine and they also get Jack Roslovic, um, and they. It's it. It's it. I'm looking at their um, their cap friendly page right now. Um, so they have like Alexander Tessier, They have Kevin Stenlin as um, an RFA. I guess UFAs are Nick Foligno, Riley Nash. And Mikhail Grigorenko, as well as David Savard and Michael Delzato. But then, as we recall in the last episodes, they also they have Max Domi, uh, Boone Jenner, um, Eric Robinson, Nathan Gerby. But more importantly, you have Seth Jones, Zach Wierenski, Elvis Merzokins, and Junis Corpusalo, all free agents um, in the next next year. Um, so uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's going to be an RFA, that year as well, so it's kind of like they don't have to worry about that as much now. Um, yeah, and I guess I am kind of worried about like knowing why Pierre Luc Dubois left because he didn't show effort, and Patrick Laine in the past has shown like he doesn't put a ton of effort into his game. So I am curious about how that's going to work with John Tortorella um, 
or, you know, maybe they're not going to do it. But at the same time, Yarmo Kekalainen, like, wanted this guy since 2016, since they, like, he's kind of, like, he's wanted him more than Pierre Lutubois, and he's even openly said that. So that kind of, like, portrays that they want him in the future. Um, and, of course, he's, he's going to help them out. Um, and it's just now they don't have as good of centers as they used to have. Uh, Max Domi, who, Max Domi, who is like a winger-center hybrid. He's their top-line center at the moment. Um, Alexander Tessier, who has actually been playing pretty well. Um, he's been their other center. Um, but uh, I wonder if, like, that's going to help them out, too, um, where he can be there, too. Um, Oliver Borkstrand... Um, has been kind of like one of the most underrated players in the league recently, and he has been their best player, I'm sure. I wonder how that's going to work. But um, I think the biggest draw for Patrick Line in this system is the fact that they have Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski, um, who are like, you know, and the power play and all that stuff. Like, that's going to be a pretty dangerous power play with, with all three of those guys in it no matter who the other two guys are on that power play. Yeah, so the interesting part with Patrick Laine, um, like just to document his goal-scoring prowess, uh, he's ninth in goal-scoring since he entered the league in 2016-17. He has 140 goals. Uh, ranks 24th in the league with 919 shots. Um, for a guy that averages 17 minutes, 40 seconds per game, that's pretty good. Uh, can definitely score in the power play. Uh, his 52 goals are the third most in the entire league since his rookie year began. The only other guys that have more have scored at least 60-plus power play goals, those guys being Alex Ovechkin and your boy, David Pasternak. Um, overall, Patrick Laine, 250 career NHL points, 39th since entering the league, pretty good. Um, now, obviously... The offensive numbers, I don't think, are going to be as dynamic as they were. I feel like we're going to see, like, a Phil Kessel situation from Pittsburgh to Arizona where, like, he's going to be good in, in Columbus. Will he be elite good? That's the question. And it typically will depend on who his line mates are. Because in Winnipeg, as mentioned, you have the likes of Nikolai Ehlers, Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler, and Kyle Connor still there. And those guys uh, really make a solid top six shine. And in Columbus, sure, you have guys like Bjorkstrand and Cam Atkinson and Gustav Nyquist, Alex Taxier, Max Domi. Those guys might be good. Are they on the same level as a Mark Shifley? Mm, I wouldn't say that just yet. Uh, so... You look at his goal totals year by year, 36 his rookie year, 44 his second, 30 in his third year, but that was filled with bumps in the road and he got goals in a month. And he had 28 goals last year. The one thing that really gets me optimistic is this past year where he gets 30 plus assists the first time yep. as an NHL, he's done that. And his, that was also his third season, which he got at least 60 points. But he his offense was more complete is he was get averaging like 19 minutes per game, 19.25 per contest to be precise. 
Um, he was on pace for a career-high 76 points if he played in the full 82 games. Improved from a minus 24 to a plus 8, which is great. Still averaged over three minutes of power play time. And like his power play numbers even then were eight goals, eight assists, 16 points. That's nothing compared to like the 20 goals and 11 assists he got in his second year. And even in that inconsistent third year, he had 15 goals and 23 points with the extra man. So like his power play numbers, probably the lowest it's ever been as an NHL player, as an established guy last year, but that was arguably his most offensively complete season. In fact, even managed to hit get 97 hits last year. So he's not afraid to hit and hit yep. hard. So I think there's optimism that it could work in Columbus. Again, how he functions with that offense, with those offensive pieces, that's going to be uh, definitely a big uh, telltale sign. And, of course, it's going to come down to the salary cap as well because, yeah, Dubois is costing a lot. Line is going to cost more. Because his qualifying offer is going to be at least $7 million, and you have to worry that about that after this season. So now you've got like a span of a couple of months to convince Patrick Laine, sign a long-term deal with us. So is that going to work with John Tortorella? Is it going to work with a different coach? Who really knows? Um, so that's going to be the interesting part with Patrick Laine. You're right, Brett, is how the dynamic with Tortorella works. Patrick Laine functions with that offense. Because I definitely think he can be a good player for Columbus. It's just, can he get like 250 plus shots, 30 to 40 goals a year consistently while being that that kind of all around player that he was towards his final days with the Winnipeg Jets? That's the question that a lot of people are asking. Right, right, for sure. Um, Yeah, and it's, yeah, I think it's, I, I think he's definitely capable of it, and I feel like there's, like, a lot of talk about how he's not as good defensively, but then when you, like, I mean, I know hits and blocks aren't everything, um, but, like, he does put up a ton of hits and blocks. He's improved his game a lot over the years, too, so, um, and I know that's, like, a big thing for John Tortorella is he likes, like, players who block a lot of shots, so he's going to probably be blocking a lot of shots for them. Um, in the coming years um, as well. So that's something from a fantasy perspective you'll probably uh, look forward to. Um, yeah, uh, let's go to um, the Winnipeg Jets side of things. Um, yeah, the, um, the thing that's... So yeah, so Pierre-Luc Dubois, as he, he's just signed his uh, extension a couple of you know, weeks ago. Um, and yeah, so it's a two year deal, 5 million each. He's going to be an RFA in 2022. Um, and the other guys in this system are, you know, who are also going to be UFAs or RFAs at the time are Mason Appleton, Christian Veselainen, uh, David Gustafson and Jansen Harkins. Oh, as well as Sammy Niku. Um, and then in terms of like UFAs, like even next year, it's just pretty much Paul Stasny and Matthew Perot. Um, whereas like guys like Blake Wheeler, Kyle Connor, Mark Scheifele, and Nikolai Ehlers, and Connor Hellbuck, oh, and, and Josh Morrissey all have a bit more term um, in their contracts. So that's a, it's pretty 
uh, good company and stuff, so their core isn't really affected like Columbus is um, when you think of it that way, uh, when you look at their cap situation. Um, oh, I guess Neil Pionk's an RFA this year, t- uh, this coming year, too, so uh, that's, I guess, one of the bigger ones to think about, too. But anyways, yeah, this was, as I mentioned before, it's just funny that they've been looking for a center to help, like, to compliment Mark Shifley for years, especially with the wingers that they have with Blake Wheeler, Kyle Connor, Nikolai Ehlers, and of course Patrick Laine. But now that they don't have Patrick Laine, they still have Ehlers on the second line, so that'll probably be where Pierre-Luc Dubois will be on the second line. Um, and then, yeah, and then you just have to figure out who's going to be their right winger, um, who's going to take him his place. I guess you have Christian Veselainen, um, who's had, you know, he's another top draft pick, so maybe he'll take over, but they don't really have, other than that, I don't think they have too many wingers other than those three guys. Um, So that's kind of why I was so hesitant on Patrick Laine being traded is because of their wing, like, yeah, they have Blake Wheeler, Kyle Connor, and Nikolai Ehlers, which is great. But you also have, you know, other forward depth. So it's like now they have, like, they, they solve their center issue. Um, they do have good wingers, of course. But now they have, like, to worry about another, they have to find another winger. And they also have to find a defenseman, um, like, they, they didn't address for, like, two years now. So it's... It's definitely a tricky uh, situation where I'm wondering, like, Pierre-Luc Dubois is a very defensive, he's like a great two-way forward um, and, and center, and he should help them in the long run, especially in the Canadian division. But, like, in the long term, I'm not necessarily sure it's going to work. Um, just because, you know, wingers are... or. Patrick Laine's skill is not as um, is rarer than maybe Pierre-Luc Dubois' skill is, although I don't know if that's necessarily true either. But, uh, you know, it's like you're you're trading one skill for another rare skill, and um, who knows if that's going to work or not. It's funny that you mentioned about the center situation because I have a little... T- that, that you're absolutely going to love. Um, so we dissected in our previous episode what Pierre-Luc Dubois brings to the table, what he could bring to the Winnipeg Jets, um, how they could use additional depth in the face-off dot um, if they traded for him, and then now they have. Uh, so we mentioned the quarantine stuff uh, with Dubois. So the good. So you're wondering, well, in the meantime, how the Jets are going to do without him. They're going to go up against a lot of Canadian teams with porous defenses over the next few weeks. They just went through three games with Ottawa. Not surprisingly, won all three of them. Uh, and they're going to be going up against Ottawa later. They got some games against Edmonton, against Vancouver. They have, I think, four games against Calgary, which is probably like their biggest test in terms of defense and goaltending teams at the moment. Um, so I think for the next couple of weeks, they'll be able to manage. Uh, right now, though, Shifley is the top line center, and Paul Stastny is right behind him on line two. That's right. pretty decent. That is decent. Uh, sure. Now, Roslovic would occupy 
normally the third line spot. He could probably be a first or a second line guy in Columbus. And he hasn't really hit 15 minutes per game. So like he could have better numbers in Columbus, but I don't think he would get those kind of numbers in Winnipeg because of the amount of depth that they have down the middle. So now you're thinking, okay, well, Adam Lowry is their guy on line three, Jansen Harkins slash Nate Thompson is their choice on line four. In the grand scheme of things, you put Dubois in line two, you put Stastny in line three. True. Holy freaking crap, the Jets look great down the middle. Uh, and and even then, like, if Ryan Little, on the off chance, he comes back to play hockey again, um, you know, he could do some stuff. But the thing with the Jets in the long term is what happens when Little and Stastny are in their late 30s because they're in their th- – 30s now i think we're seeing a bit of signs that their offensive game is starting to decline a little bit um so you're going to need to fill those gaps the good news is you have cole perfetti who is a center uh coming into the fold in a couple of years so now you add him and shifley and dubois and your your first line second line third line centers look pretty well set yeah now in the short term this is the interesting part though um i have heard rumblings that they might move Stasny to the wing and put Dubois as the second line center. So I'm thinking, why did you make this trade then? Like right. the whole point of making this trade is to bolster your depth down the middle, and you're going to move one of those guys to the wing so that you have a first line that has Mark Shifley down the middle, a second line yeah, that's that Dubois down the middle. And the same guys on line three and line four. So, like, yeah. what, what's the purpose? Does is the purpose of this deal defeated then? Yeah, that and, makes no and sense. And I harken back to this trade many, many times. Matt Duchesne going to Ottawa. The whole point of getting Matt Duchesne is to take the load off of Kyle Turris, and then he realized, oh, we're trading Kyle Turris in this trade. Oh, well, okay, forget all of that then. Um, so, I, I I feel I feel like I'm a little puzzled if Stastny to the wing like did they do anything really to help their depth down the middle if Stastny's playing on the left side I don't think so um and on top of that you're basically just getting offense in a different part of your lineup like sure you're still good on the wings but you're just a little bit better down the middle meantime your defense still has youngsters like Billy Hainola on it same Naiku who I think, you know, hopefully by the end of this year could be solid NHLers for the foreseeable future for them, right. in which case that's great. But the guys like Jacob Truba and Tyler Myers and Ben Sherratt and Dustin Bufflin, what do they do? They limited scoring opportunities generated by the other team, and they made, and they made this team tougher to play against. Are the Winnipeg Jets tougher to play against? With Josh Morrissey, maybe with Dylan DeMello, perhaps, but they need more than just those two guys, and they sure. don't have that. Even with this trade, they still don't have that. And you're seeing games like uh, Toronto um, this past when, uh, this past Monday and Ottawa this past Tuesday, back to back nights. Didn't matter if it was Connor Hellebuck. Didn't matter if it was Laurent Bossois. They were getting outshot up the yin yang for like the majority of the game. And yeah, they, they almost, were able, to, they they were able to get some results out of that. But you can't expect to win a lot of your games 
your goaltending like that. It's just not feasible. So that's the part of Winnipeg's game that still hasn't improved after this trade. And until it does improve, you're left wondering how much better are the Winnipeg Jets? How lethal are they? Do they invoke fear into the other team? All it takes is a strong start, and you got them on their heels. Yeah. Yeah, they almost lost to the Ottawa Senators last night, so that <laughs> that tells you, like, that should never happen. Um, yeah. uh, no offense, Steve, but that should never happen. I, I so. like they're improving, but they're rebuilding. And right, they right, have right. showed us time and time again why they're rebuilding. Right. So, like, those are winnable games for the Jets of in course. every sense of the word. Right. So, yeah, I'm not sh- I don't know. I can understand trading Patrick Line, I guess, but like like I was saying, like that's why I was so hesitant of trading Patrick Line because I don't think you can ever win a Patrick Line trade. And I guess you could say the same for Pierre Luc Dubois, but like I don't think that means that they should be traded for each other. So that's why that's that's the other part where it's like if you're gonna trade Patrick Line, there odds are you're not gonna get him back um, ever in his career. So like you should use it for your biggest need, which is defense. Um, and, like, yeah, you can get centers, but you also drafted Cole Perfetti. Thanks for that reminder. Um, so, like, you know, you're you're kind of good. Like, Cole Perfetti's not ready yet, obviously, but, like, he will eventually be ready. So, like, you can develop him and, and do that, and he'll be ready for them, and that addresses that center need. But, like, then why didn't you, why, if you're going to do this, why didn't you just, like, draft, like, a defenseman um, in this draft or something? Why did you even get Cole Perfetti? Um, Which, so that's, like, the weird part to it, too. I guess they could put, like, Perfetti onto the wing. Um, I didn't know this about Paul Stasny, that they're going to move him to the wing as well. But, like, so he's going to move to the left wing instead of the right wing? Because the right wing would make more sense. Well, the right wing, according to Daily Faceoff, has Wheeler and Ehlers as of uh, the, the uh, most recent lineups. So, oh, like, Ehlers plays still, I, would, right I would say the right wing looks pretty good. Okay, so, okay, Ehlers moved to the right side. Got it. Okay, so then yeah. Stasny. Okay, I can sort of see that. I mean, sure, Stasny is more of a center, but I could see it being, like, if they just move him to the wing, then that addresses that Patrick line I need. But yeah, in the long term, I guess they have to consider what's going to happen with Cole Perfetti, uh, considering that they do have two pretty young players in Mark Shifley and uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois in the system as the top two centers. So I wonder, and, and for, for the yeah. record, Perfetti is a left-handed shot, so if he moved to the wing, the optimal choice to would play him would be, be on left the left hand. side, not the right. Okay, so so maybe he'll be a left-winger then. Um, if he's not a center, probably, yeah. I, right. I'm just looking at the trade, and, and it's I feel like it's one of those, like, P.K. Subban for Shea Weber, where it looks blatantly obvious that, like, what is Montreal doing? They're giving up a superstar talent, right. and it looks like they're the winners. Uh, so I think it's going to take, like, at least five years before we can kind of, like, gauge an interest of, of how things go. And I think for, for both sides to to make it seem like this trade was worth it, uh, both Line A and Dubois off to sign extensions at some yep. point. But even then, I'm I, I'm I'm just kind of looking at the the short term impact, and I guess yeah, they get the short term needs now, but long term it's a toss up. Like I really don't right. know who wins here. 
Yeah, I guess that's kind of a sign they, of... They might, they might be better, but, like, how much better are they? Really? Right, right. I guess that's a sign of how, like, how fair of a trade this is, is where you can't even decide on who actually yeah. won the trade because they both kind of... I could see it working for both sides, um, and I could also see both being destroyed by it, too. Um, and, yeah, I think that's a sign of it being good. And I think you're right, though. It all hinges on if Pierre-Luc Dubois signs long-term with Winnipeg and if Patrick Laine signs long-term with Columbus. Um, and then I guess you could always trade them again because I think, you know, for both situations, both Patrick Laine and Pierre-Luc Dubois, like, have expressed that they want to be in, like, a bigger market and Winnipeg and Columbus aren't that. So it's like you're trading one toxic environment to another toxic toxic environment, and that doesn't necessarily make it better. Um, so that's... I, I'm cautious. I think I talked into myself... Like, originally when I first heard about it, I was like, I don't like this trade. Um... Because I didn't like the... I, I love Patrick Laine, and I I didn't want, like... I didn't think the dynamic with Torts would work. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, all right, maybe it will work. Um, but I, I think you're right that I think eventually it could... Um, it, it's, it's just, like, we don't really know until five years from now um, when we can look back and be like, oh, this is this was actually a good trade for both sides, or this was actually a good trade for one side. Um, or it was a at bad the, trade. Time, <laughs> I'm, I'm also kind of thinking, like, remember when the Jets traded Timu Solani to the Anaheim yeah. Mighty Ducks, and everyone was up in arms and thinking, oh, man, th th what is Winnipeg doing? And, like, the Jets fans weren't happy about it. And right. I guess to an extent they're not happy about this trade. But you look at the Timu Solani trade, that long-term, and, of course, they – Paul Correa was a big part of it, but like the Anaheim Mighty Ducks arrived eventually after Solani got there. Can you imagine if Patrick Laine has the same effect in Columbus where like, yeah, they're good now and like people know who they are, but like they reach that next level of fanhood with the arrival of Patrick Laine. It would be interesting if, if Lani had that same groundbreaking effect that Solani had, uh, had with the Ducks franchise. Yeah, that's, I was thinking about that too because like it, it's also similar because both Solani and Lani are Finnish uh, players, <laughs> so it's it also has that connection too. I know you, I think Jarmo Kekalainen wanted Lani particularly because he was Finnish. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's that's another thing you have to consider, but... I think right now, from the looks of it, I think Columbus won, but I could also see Winnipeg, like, f figuring this out and, and actually uh, um, it working out for them, too. So um, I think I think yeah. Columbus, like, really wins if they get Line locked up long-term and Roslevic becomes a massive top-six piece for them. Yeah. Because, like, he might, he might seem like... You know, a decent bottom six forward that helps out an NHL team. But if he can grow into, like, a very mature top six forward, like, be a solid number one, number two guy down the middle for them. Yeah. And because, like, there's untapped potential there. If they can figure out a way to get him going as well, then, then the Blue Jackets won twice. They get their goal scorer and they get possibly a center of the future playing for them who not only is American but is from Columbus. 
So like that's good local product there too. Yeah, that's a good point too. We didn't really talk too much about uh, Jack Roslovic, but um, yeah, he. It seems like he was just unhappy. There is something to like the fact that he's from Columbus, so like you know maybe he he just wanted to play for his home team and stuff. So that's like a good draw for them. Um, so I think there is something to that too. And yeah, and I was talking about like how Columbus doesn't have any good centers now. But, yeah, Groslovic could fit right in because um, it is, like, Max Domi, who hasn't had a great start so far, and Alexander Tessier, who's more of a winger instead. Um, and I guess both Domi and Tessier are more wingers. And also the fact that, like, Columbus doesn't really have uh, a lot of high prospects in their in their pool. So, yeah. so like, Roslovic immediately becomes one of their better young players um yeah so so it could it could end up working out for Roslovic and being a perfect situation for him too so that could also be like the thing that sways it more towards uh Columbus uh, because if you get Patrick Laine going and then you also get Jack Roslovic going um that that makes it all like that's that's a pretty good deal for for the Blue Jackets so um, I mean, I guess that's an obvious statement to make, but, uh, but it's true. Um, all right. That about does it for us here. Uh, you can listen to us on SoundCloud and iTunes and Spotify where we, you get all our episodes. Our, um, Facebook is Lace Em Up. Our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode two. 254 of the Lace Em Up podcast. Go Bucks. <laughs>